Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church podcast. For more information about Redemption Church, please visit redemptionokc.com. You can stay up to date on sermons by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. Thanks again for listening. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, just the worship today, for the reminder that you change us by your spirit day by day as your grace works itself out and as authentic faith takes hold in our hearts and works itself out in uh, the life that we live. Father, we, we trust that that will be so increasingly. Father, we ask that that would be so increasingly. Father, we seek that that would be so increasingly in our lives, that we would surrender more and more of our heart to you, that you would uh, root out stuff that needs to be uprooted there, and that you'd plant good stuff that would bear fruit in our lives. Uh, Father, we ask it um, through your Son and by the Spirit. Amen. We're in this book uh, called James, and it's in your New Testament, kind of towards the end. And so if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to take that turn there. Or I mean, James chapter three today. If you don't have a Bible, we've got some in the back. You're welcome to grab one of those. We'd love just to give it to you and uh, bless you with that. We'd love for you to have it, be able to open up, or if you pull out your device or wherever it is you want to look up the text today, love for you to, to take a gander at it. Uh, honestly, today almost needs no setup. So I've got very little intro today. Uh, we are going to kind of jump right in. This is one of those passages that... When I start reading it, you're going to sit up straight and look around and start feeling a little uncomfortable because it's going to step on all of our toes. It's not really going to miss any of us. It's going to hit each of us kind of where we are. What we're going to see today is if you really want to grow spiritually and in your walk with the Lord, if you want to see spiritual progress, you need to let your faith take over your mouth, which is easier said than done. So we're going to be in James 3. Let me start in James 3, chapter 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. Welcome to redemption this morning. For every kind of beast and bird, and reptile, and sea creature can be, tamed, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come bless, blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. And as we look at this text, man, there's some tough stuff right out of the gate. So let's talk about, last week we talked about faith and works. Today we're going to talk about faith and words. 
And let me tell you why these two are connected. In our study of James 2, last week we said that real faith really works. That real faith, or authentic faith, works in our hearts to bring about change. And so we don't work to get something, we work because we already have something. And because we've already received faith, there should work itself out in terms of the way in which we live. And so it, it, our, our works are a visible demonstration of invisible faith. And James is gonna jump now to another idea of our words. Our words are also works. Our words ought to be a visible demonstration of invisible faith. That somehow they ought to reflect what's going on in our hearts. But he's gonna talk about a universal struggle, right? He's gonna talk about this thing of our mouth. And if James really wants to point, prove his point that faith, is, that faith really works, and what better place to go to than to our speech, to our words, to the things we say. Now, because if faith really works, it surely will have to show up there. He already hit on this point in chapter one. In fact, James 1.19, he said that we are, that let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Good rules for life, for marriage, for parenting, for work, for just about anything, right? He goes on, uh, James 1.26, if anyone thinks he's religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So James is pretty serious about this area of life, right? What he's gonna say is our words reveal our spiritual growth. Our words reveal our spiritual progress. And so as we jump into this passage, we're gonna see verse one, one he's gonna take on kind of a very specific, unique group and, and deal with that. And verse two, he's gonna broaden it out and go to more of a general kind of a comment and look at, the, look at all of us and how we all fit into this. Then when you get to three to six, he's gonna talk about the power and the peril of the tongue and of our words and what it is we can speak, uh, that we speak. Then you get down to seven through nine, or seven and eight, he's gonna talk about the difficulty of, of controlling or taming our tongues. And then he's gonna get to the end and he's just gonna show us that, that our tongue and our words and our mouth somehow reveal something deeper about what's going on. They show us something about the roots of our lives. So verse one, where does he start? And he really, he's talking about me, right? He's talking about teachers. He starts off and he says, Don't, not many of you should want to be teachers. And yet oftentimes we, we think teachers are these people we're supposed to, to look up to. But he says, and be careful because you're gonna incur a stricter judgment. Here's the thing about teachers, man. We're, we're professional mouths. Like that's the role. That's what we are about. The, the job demands that we speak for a living. And since errors so easily roll off the tongue, and if you speak all the time, there's a much greater chance that you're gonna step in something you shouldn't, right? Because if it's hard to govern things that come out of your mouth and you're tasked with speaking all the time, then there's great danger that you're gonna speak something that's unhelpful or unhealthy or unbiblical or unkind or unloving or ungracious. And so there's a danger, I think, for those of us who speak. And man, I feel this. I feel this when I study it's one of the things that we, we talk about sometimes as preachers, and we, we have to preach it to ourselves before we preach it to someone else, that whenever you get into it, you first have to say, man, what is it saying to me before I turn it to someone else? Because, man, the thing I know about life is we're all in the same boat. Like, there's one Savior, and I'm not Him. His name's Jesus, and so I need His grace just as much as you do. And so when I get up and try to instruct you in how to find His grace, or how to walk in His grace, or how to understand His grace, and there's a, there's a danger in that because I have to acknowledge first that, man, I am just as much a recipient of grace as you are. 
And so I think this is a place where you have to tread lightly. But you know, when you speak for a living, the temptation is there to allow all kinds of things to come out from arrogance to manipulation, to twisting of words, to um, kind of steering things in a, in a certain direction. And it's so easy just to, just to get yourself in trouble and find yourself in a, in a bad place. And you want to experience this firsthand. I was thinking about this. I often say, you ever try to do like a radio call-in show? And there's a guy who's not necessarily a biblical teacher, but someone who's on the radio and you call in, you call in, there's this great danger there. And this, this danger is there with teachers too, because the teacher has a microphone you don't have, right? So you call in, what's the deal? Well, you can talk, but they can cut you off anytime they want to. They can be like, I had enough of you. And then they get to take on the show after that and they get to kind of spin the conversation however they want. Teachers have the same kind of ability that you have in those scenarios. And the danger, I think, is teachers often feel justified in their use of the tongue. They feel important. They feel like, I need to say these things or do these things because uh, these are things that ought to be listened to. And here's what I hear in James. We, We need to come humbly We need to come graciously. We need to come first receiving from the Lord before we try to extend his grace to someone else. That the the only way a teacher, I think, can thrive over time is to try and be a conduit of God's grace to someone else and know that, man, that grace never terminates on me. But unless that grace is flowing from someone much greater than me, I've got nothing to offer you. And so my my heart in this is that, that I would somehow receive grace from the Lord and that that would somehow be used to bounce through this room to others. And I hope that's your heart as well. Because one day it says that we're going to see things from Jesus' viewpoint. That we're going to be judged. That somehow there's going to be some kind of a, a playback of our, a video of our life. And we're going to see those things and kind of get a, get a, a glimpse of ourselves from, from a different perspective. And I don't think it's saying our salvation's at stake here. Jesus paid for that. But the Bible continually comes back to this idea that somehow we're going to have to give account for our lives and the teachers are going to have to give a more strict account. So we need to walk, walk with, with caution here. So uh, enough about that. Let's quickly and cautiously move to verse two, okay? Verse two broadens it out from teachers to everyone else. Notice what he, what he says. We all stumble in many ways. Um, that's you, that's me. We all stumble in many ways. Like there's not, that's not a narrow group. That's a large group of people, all of us stumbling in all kinds of ways. That's the reality of life. He's not saying, and then he says, if, if anyone can tame his tongue, and he, he's not implying that you actually could. What he's saying is, if any of you could, and you really can't, but if you could, then you could conquer anything. Like if you had the ability to tame and control your tongue perfectly, then you could conquer any task and any challenge and any struggle that there would ever Come your way in life. Why? Because, I mean, it's easy to talk in it. Everyone say this with me. Just go blah, blah, blah. See, that wasn't hard, was it? Like you weren't exhausted. You didn't wear yourself out. You weren't tired. You don't need to go rest. Like when you, when you just speak something, that tongue, it just knows how to do this. And you, you, you have a, a child, you bring them into the world and they just kind of know instantly that you got to blah, blah, blah. And then they learn how to actually articulate words. And then they learn how to aim words at others. And then they, have, they learn how to develop the skill. He talks about keeping in check, bridling your tongue. It means that you, if you can keep it in check, if you can restrain it, if you can somehow harness it, and there's an incredible strength there for you. 
It's interesting, John Calvin said, the most innate sin of humankind is to cut down someone else in order to make yourself look better. To minimize someone else so that you can elevate yourself. James is gonna later say that there's grace for the humble, humble yourself, that he, God may exalt you. But if you exalt yourself, you'll be humbled. It's interesting when I think about communication, when I think about words, I think what James is saying is it, it's, it really uses the, the tongue as an illustration, but it can really be more than that, right? Like we, we all know if you've read anything that so much of communication is nonverbal. So a simple roll of the eyes, a simple tone of your voice. Like there, there's different ways mama can say some things that have different impacts on the kids, right? And so there's certain times you say something and, and the kids are like, oh, that's fine, let's go do that. And then there's other times mom says something and you're like, yes, I'm going now because I don't wanna suffer the wrath of mother, right? And so there's ways in which we influence these things. There's in, innuendo, there's belittling, there's nuancing in ways that give negative impression. There's facial expressions and subtle clues that sort of shift emotional weight in the room. All these ways are communication and they may not all come directly through the tongue, but they all are ways in which we're speaking to one another. You know, one of the places I see this most is in marriage counseling. Like you bring a, a couple that's struggling into, into the office and you know, you, you know where, where uh, when we kind of first sit down and talk and usually start off and just say, well, tell me why we're here. And often it goes something like this. Well, he did da 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 and then she, and then, well, he said, and well, she said, and he did, and he won't, and that did. And you just, man, you, these words just start rolling and you start hearing them. And it's not hard for them to find. They're just rolling out pretty comfortably from either side. And what I realized pretty quickly is that we are talking at one another, but we're not talking to one another. You've got a husband and a wife, the most precious relationship, earthly relationship that you have. And then they're just at each other, gears grinding on one another without any grace or love to soften the, the grind and the turn of the conversation. And you get to talking and you find out it's been that way 11 years and they wonder why they're not happy. See, this tongue has an incredible ability to shape our lives and to steer our conversations in all kinds of directions. And I'll make you a promise. If, if you let your mouth run free and unbridled in marriage, you're gonna be in trouble. Now, one guy said, I have never seen a really bad marriage where they talked openly and kindly to one another. That's just not the way it works. You're, your tongue is going to shape your relationship to an immense degree. You know, it's really true of any friendship or any relationship. I was thinking this week about kind of the way in which we do this. And I think if James were writing today, he might put an addendum on this passage. It said something like this. Um, how's this for a modern translation? So also your thumbs are small members and yet they boast of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire and your thumbs are a fire a world of unrighteousness. The thumbs are set among our members, staining the whole body and setting on fire the entire course of the world. You know, through our phones and our thumbs and some texts and some social media messages and some other stuff, and it's easy to scald someone, isn't it? And so, man, teenagers, you may not think this applies to you because it's telling you like, I don't even talk to anyone. Like, I don't have a conversation. I haven't had a conversation with a human being in months, but this counts in James, okay? Like as you are typing with your thumbs, that counts, I think, in James's words. Ed Stetzer in his new book, Christians in an Age of Outrage, says this that I think is helpful. 
He says, we have all these new technologies and online platforms by which to instantly react and amplify the loudest, most divisive voices. We are a society where everyone has a megaphone and an increasingly smaller capacity to resist using it. Man, is that not good? That's what James is talking about. Your tongue is a fire. Your thumbs are a fire. You've got a megaphone and an increasingly small capacity to resist using it. He goes on and says, in their research, Christians often have the same bad habits as everyone else, practices that damage not only their well-being and relationships, but also their spiritual vitality and witness. We have found that technology and online habits of evangelicals largely mirror those of the general public, if not slightly exceeding them. Friends, this is a problem. It happens through our mouth, that it turns as a fire into the world. It also happens through other ways we communicate. So you may be saying, well, if this is some place where we all struggle in many ways, then man, can we really fight it? Shouldn't we just kind of go with the flow and learn to live with it? Is it really that big a deal if all of us struggle in this sort of a way? Well, James is gonna kind of anticipate this objection. He's gonna give us three illustrations that he wants us to walk through and just kind of show you, and here's the way the world works. First, he wants us to see the mouth is directional. The mouth is something that guides or directs our path. And he talks about a horse and the bit in a horse's mouth. And he says, if you put a bit in a horse's mouth, you can, through slight, small movement, direct the entire animal. So something small can direct something large and shift the course of its direction and guide its language. What he's saying is that your mouth is like the tuning fork of your soul. That somehow there's a small thing that happens there, but it sets the tone for everything else and directs you in one direction or the other. Very small things can control very large things. Next, he goes to a ship and the ship's rudder, and we see that the mouth is also powerful. It's directional, but it's also powerful. You know, the rudder can direct a ship even, he says, even against strong winds. What's the point he's saying there? You've got this little rudder and you've got these natural forces trying to send the, the ship in a certain direction, but even against those natural forces, this little rudder can turn and can shift the course of that, of that ship in, in a certain direction. And so there's, there's a sense of it's being powerful, that the, this little thing is powerful enough to shift the entire course and direction of this giant ship. Speaking to its power, that the, the rudder, the tongue, can overcome opposition and make things go where it wants it to go. But then James also ups his argument a notch here. You notice that, that here in the passage, he talks about as, that there's, there's not just a rudder, but there's actually someone directing the rudder, right? So they are, guarded, they are guided by a very small rudder wh- wherever the will of the pilot directs. And so he, he steps the argument a little bit further. He says, it's not just a rudder that's kind of operating independently on its own, but there's actually someone with a desire that's driving that, that's steering that, that's turning the rudder so that the ship and the course of the ship is, uh, is directed. The ship's captain changes the direction of the rudder in the same way that you change the direction of your tongue. There's someone directing with a desire to make these things happen. Now, that ought to be convicting for us. It means that the tongue is not freestanding or free-floating. It's attached, right? I mean, it's stuck. Like, it's still there, right? Your tongue is attached. It doesn't waggle on its own. It doesn't operate on its own. It isn't gonna run off around the room and kind of do what it wants and come back. It's, it's firmly fixed at the bottom of your mouth. That's the way the tongue operates. And when the tongue works, what it means is 
I'm making it work. When your tongue works and you form words, you are making it work. Let me tell you why that's important. It means that you can't blame your tongue for the things that happen. You can't just say, well, my mouth felt angry then. No, you were just angry person. You can't just say, well, my, my, you know, my, my mouth kind of said some arrogant stuff. No, you just were arrogant. Like you personally, that tongue's attached to you. So what comes out of there tells us something about the, the pilot, the, the one that guides it, the one that steers it, the one that drives it. You can't just say, uh, I'm a humble man who happened to say something judgmentally. No, there's something judgmental in me that came out of me when I said that thing to you. I think it's a, it's a dangerous place. It's, we can't just say, man, it slipped out or I didn't mean it. You know, abusive people often will try to deflect responsibility for the things they do and say, oh, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that. That wasn't real. I really feel. And, and what this tells us is, now what you said is what really is coming out. And there's something there that you need to deal with and wrestle with. And that really brings us to the next point, that the mouth is directional. The mouth is powerful. The mouth is also dangerous. Verse five, he says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Then he repeats it. And he, it's like he wants you to really understand it. And he says, yes, the tongue is a fire. <laughs> like James is going, are you listening to me? The tongue is a fire that ignites things. It means it's dangerous. It's a world of unrighteousness. He's probably referring to the brush of the Palestinian hills that could easily burst into fire and create a wildfire that was hard to contain in a dry climate. The tongue becomes the instrument through which all the evil of the world flows. Friends, our words are dangerous. They're, they're not harmless. They're not neutral. But oftentimes they can, they can do great harm. You heard a guy talk about the Smokey the Bear, remember? It reminded me of uh, when I was a kid. Remember the Smokey the Bear commercials? You'd hear those, and it's only you can prevent forest fires. As a kid, you're like, me? Like, it's all on me? I've never even seen one. I don't know what to do about it, right? But then it, it really what it's trying to say is that, that someone's got to stop it before it happens. And in the old commercials, they started and went, went, went reverse. So it started with this raging fire, and then you see the fire kind of back up, and it goes back down, and then it slides back up and comes to the forest fire and goes up to the match. And eventually there's a guy standing over the match, and you know that if he doesn't let it drop where he does that that fire will never have taken place. It needed to be stopped before it happened, is what it was saying. I think that's James' point too. That somehow we need, to, we need to catch that before it takes over, before it runs out. Because if we let that thing drop, I mean, it's going to rage like a wildfire that we can't contain. Students, and I know the cut down culture of high school. I know that's the norm. I know that's the way we roll. I know that's the locker room mentality. But I think what you need to know from James is that those words are not harmless. That oftentimes they, they sear a person, they sting a person, they leave a mark that, that, that your friends sometimes hear echoes of the things you say to them in their thoughts even years later. It can leave a painful mark there and it can set kind of a, a conversational fire within your friendships that's really not helpful and not healthy. You know, when someone, I think we're all, we all feel this at different times. We've all experienced the wounds of a friend. We've all also given, or we've all experienced wounds of someone that hurt us. And we've also given wounds that have hurt others. And when someone hurts or offends me, and you ever just feel the need to call it out? And you're just like, hang on. And you feel like you need to act on that. Maybe to them, 
But maybe you don't need to talk to them. Maybe what you wanna do is you wanna go talk to someone else about it. Like you're upset and you're like, well, that's wrong. And then you come over to this guy like, hey, let me tell you about this guy or this situation or this thing that's happened over here. And you wanna begin to kind of go off on, on that situation. And the thing is, man, when that happens, we feel right in executing judgment on them. But do you know that it's not your job to mete out judgment on others? It's not your job to be the dictator over other people's lives and to determine everything that they do. There's ways in which you can come alongside a brother and a friend in ways that bear their burden where you're coming up under it. But there's also so often ways in which we use our tongues that are not helpful. And I know people that because of their honesty, because that's what we're doing, right? I mean, I'm just being honest. Just saying what needs to be said. I'm just delivering the goods. Someone's got to say it. Someone's got to step up. Like we say all these things because we feel righteous in doing it. Some of them make us feel better and everyone else worse. And what you see is that your tongue is a fire and you see people that alienate all those around them. They alienate their spouse, alienate their kids, alienate coworkers, alienate those that are around them and they feel righteous about it. And that's the danger, I think, when you add spirituality to a tongue that rages like a wildfire. It can be a dangerous thing. Notice what James says. He says that they are setting on fire the entire course of their life. And does that seem extreme? He says that basically the entire genesis of your life from beginning to end, when you let your words rage like that, that you're setting on fire everything about the trajectory of your life. As if setting it on fire wasn't enough, that it's gonna wreak havoc in every area. And it's going to continue to follow you, he says. And where does this destructive potential come from? He says it comes from hell, right? That there's a demonic sense in this. That there's a sense in which you're working out evil in the ways in which you sometimes speak. Uh, the, the word for hell here is Gehenna. It's where they burn the refuse. It's where uh, historically there are times performed child sacrifice in this area and they refer to it as that. And they're saying, whenever you speak words that hurt others like that, I mean, you're taking that refuse and that child sacrifice type of a place and you're delivering it to others, which is awful. It's a horrible, awful image that I think we're meant to get is that when we operate in that way, it's an awful thing. Now, here's the thing. When I think about the spark that ignites a brush fire, uh, you know, that, that could have been stopped before it came out. Or maybe it could have stopped with just a cup of water really quickly if you catch it early on. But sometimes these things get ahead of us, don't they? And any of you have any relationships that are raging out of control already? That man, something was said and it sparked something and no one nipped it at the bud. And so it began to fester and began to, began to spread, began to flourish. And then it's kind of taken over that relationship maybe that group of relationships or groups, group of friendships. And I think when I, when I look at this, that's um, the image I, th I think that he wants us to get. I mean, when, when, we, when we roll this way, there's relationships that are devastated and they're just left with nothing. You know, the, the image that we had earlier, if we go back one image, there, there's an image there of where wildfire has raged. And you notice when I look at that picture, I just thought, and there's no life there. All you see is destruction. There's nothing birthed out of that. It's just devastation. 
And that's, I think, the picture James wants us to get to understand the danger. You know, it's been said that there are only three people you should talk to about another sin. You should talk to God, you should talk to the person, you can talk to someone who helped, who can actually help that person. The first thing you should do when you see someone who's struggling, instead of just throwing something at them, and talk to the Lord about it. Take it, to, take it to, to God in prayer. Talk to him about it. And if you have to, go to them and talk to them about it as, as, a, as a brother or sister, as a friend. And then if you need to talk to anyone else and you can't get anywhere, then get someone else who can actually help them, someone who has their best interest in mind, someone who's already their friend, someone who they know loves them, and take that person along with you to engage in that conversation. You know, as a church, one of the things that, that's important to us is that we learn to to work through conflict biblically. Uh, this is just, man, it's, it's like any family. I do premarital counseling, and, and one of the things that we talk about in premarital counseling is communication's number one determiner of how well you're gonna do. Because what I know is a couple starts is that they are gonna butt heads because they're sinners, that they're going to just have to talk about budgets, they're gonna have to talk about sex, they're gonna have to talk about parenting, they have to talk about what house they're gonna buy, they have to talk about all these things, they have to learn to communicate in healthy ways about all these different things. And churches are families. And they get messy too. And so there's, there's ways in which we have to learn to talk to one another in ways that are healthy, in ways that are life-giving, rather than ways that are destructive. And so, and I just want to encourage you, as you if you've got relationships, uh, either here or elsewhere, that aren't healthy, that maybe there's a fire that's been started, and you go, man, I'm not sure what to do about it. Um, we've got a handout that we're going to make available to you. We're going to have them in the back. You can grab one on your way out at the door as you leave. It just talks about conflict, our constant opportunity. And really, it's just a guide that biblically gives you some principles for knowing how it is you can work through some conflict resolution. So if you're in one of those relationships where words have been spoken and where that fire is already beginning to rage and you're not sure what to do, and can I suggest you just, you start there and learn. And for those of you that you're not there now, would you just take one and kind of put that into your equipping toolbox of your spiritual life and say, man, I wanna hold on to this because someday I'm probably gonna need it because there's just stuff that's gonna happen in the course of life. And so we wanna put some tools in your hands to help, help you walk through that if you're already in a conflict type of a situation. Let me uh, say one other thing. Sometimes there's also uh, just a wisdom in not making it more than it needs to be. Sometimes there's real conflicts and real hardships that are there, but sometimes someone's just careless. Sometimes someone lets a word slip they shouldn't have said. Sometimes someone steps on your toe in a little way or they kind of tweak you personally and you're just kind of irritated by it. But, but you go to bed that night and you wake up and you're like, yeah, I get it. And I think there's something to be said about what Proverbs 19, 11 says. Good sense makes one slow to anger and it is, to his, it is his glory to overlook an offense. It's to his glory to overlook an offense. There's sometimes offenses, and not every offense needs to be brought into this heavy conflict situation because, and what I know is we, we all are gonna stumble in many ways. We're all gonna step on each other's toes. There's things that are gonna happen. Oftentimes what you need to do is just put your arm around a guy and go, man, you having a bad day? Like, let's go get some coffee and move on through, through the rest of your day because not everything needs to be dealt with that heavily. We need to have grace for one another. Verse eight. You look through the, the rest of this section, you get down to verse seven, verse eight. He talks about the difficulty of trying to tame the tongue and how hard it is to kind of get our words in line. And it is hard. And we know that. In fact, he says, you can't do it. You can restrain your tongue. You can try to, try to manage it, but you're never gonna totally tame it. You're always gonna struggle in this area. In fact, he, he uses this illustration. It's kind of funny. He says, look, look around the globe. 
Mankind has managed to tame every animal on the face of the planet, but this one. You just can't, you know, this is the one that we can't beat somehow. And he gives us this picture. He says it's a restless evil. Man, isn't that just dark? You go out with your mouth just being a restless evil. I mean, it never gets tired. It just can kick evil out all the time without any trouble. Made me think of the Energizer Bunny commercials. You remember those? Where the drums are like, ding, 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 ding. Just keep going, keep, keep going and going and going and never stop. And that's kind of the way that our tongues, when they're not restrained in a healthy way, that's kind of how they roll. He refers to them as a deadly poison, full of death-dealing poison. Man, that's heavy stuff, right? So where do, we, where do we kind of go from there? I think what he wants you to understand is this is a shocking problem for people. In James 1, it says that we're to have the word of truth implanted in our hearts and the gospel take root there and bear fruit in, in line with, uh, with, with our faith. And he's saying is, man, to talk this way when God's put his word in your heart, something's not right. Something seems a little bit off. And this that brings us to the last point I think we see here from James, that our mouth is revealing. Your mouth is revealing of something deeper going on in your life. Verse nine, he talks about pronouncing a blessing. With our mouth, we bless the Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. He refers really back to Genesis 1, and Genesis 1, 26 to 28, where humanity was created. It says we were made in the image of God, that we were designed, we were created, we were, uh, we were put on the planet for a purpose and that God intended for us to be the ones that reflect his goodness to throughout all of humanity. We're told then to go and to take dominion over the earth, to fill it and multiply and bring God's blessing throughout the whole planet. And he says that with our mouths, we praise the Lord and Father that made us, but we also curse other people that are made in his image. He says, my brothers, it should not be so. It's not the way it should be. Cursing, praising or blessing or praying is one of the highest forms of speech. Cursing another is the lowest. And he says, you're out of your mouth, you somehow produce both. He says, it's not the way things are supposed to be. He gives us three illustrations, verse 11 through 12. And he wants us to kind of grab this idea. And really, he's making it crystal clear in their minds. He takes the idea of a spring. In that, in that uh, civilization, springs were really the lifeblood of a city or a village. And so oftentimes, a city or village would, would spring up and grow because a spring, a, a healthy freshwater spring was discovered there. And so where you found a good source of life-giving water, you wanted to build your life around that place. And so that's what you do. And what he says in this deal, in, in, in this passage or these verses is that whenever you go to a place and you're expecting a freshwater spring and all of a sudden you get poisoned water or tainted water or salty water that you can't, that won't produce life in you. I mean, you want to spit it out because it's not what you expected. It's not what was supposed to be there. And the thing that they would have understood about springs and we may not know is that springs don't like flip-flop. There's not a switch where you're like freshwater, Salt water, fresh water, salt water, fresh water, salt. It's not the way it worked. Either it was a spring that produced fresh water or it produced bad water. And you knew what it was going to be. And so you could, you could expect it to be that way. Just like you could expect a fig tree to produce what? Figs, man, you guys are sharp. I mean, see how that works? Like you, guys are, you guys are well-schooled, right? If, if whatever the, the tree is made to do, it's gonna produce, whatever the root of the tree is, is gonna produce that kind of fruit. It's not gonna produce something else. And so you're not gonna have a grapevine that produces figs or a fig tree that produces olives. 
not the way the world works. And he says, verse 10, my brothers, it should not be so that you who have authentic faith in your hearts and have the word of the gospel implanted in your hearts would produce something that's not in line with the gospel and not in line with real faith. See, think, as we think about this, he says that um, sometimes we, we are poisoned by something that's not helpful. And the point he's trying to make here is bad things don't produce good things. A person who is not walking with God in authentic faith cannot consistently produce healthy and life-giving speech to others. And likewise, a person who is constantly critical, a person who's constantly harsh, a person who's constantly gossiping, a person who's constantly sinning with their mouth, cannot, does not reveal a healthy, life-giving relationship with God on the inside. That somehow what's on the inside comes out. Jesus said this, that it's, it's what comes out of, out of a man's mouth comes out of his heart. And so our words are revealing of what's really going on in our spiritual condition in the way in which they are displayed. So that gets us back to last week, right? Real faith really changes you. That if you really have the gospel and you really have his grace and you really know the love of God that, that has taken up residence in your heart and that's beginning to, to, to be implanted in your soul and bear fruit out of that, then there ought to be good works that come out of that and there ought to be good words that come out of that. And so if you're struggling with your mouth, what should you do? You should go work on your heart, right? Because it means that somehow you're not really resting in God's grace. Somehow you're not really understanding God's love. Somehow you, the gospel is not really rooted in you and bearing fruit as it ought to be. Somewhere there's a disconnect. So verse 10, he says, my brothers, this should not be so that we could produce cursing and blessing out of the same mouth. See, our words can hurt or our words can heal. Our words can worship or our words can wound. We've got the ability to do either, but we have to manage that and we have to grow in that. It's interesting as he, I think he goes back to Genesis 1. He talks about that we hurt those who are made in the likeness of God. He's talking about our, our creation, the way we're created. It's interesting in Abraham. Abrahamic covenant, um, God calls up a people for himself and he saves, he, he directs Abraham and enters into covenant promise with him. And as he promises Abraham, one of the things he says to Abraham is, Abraham, you will be a blessing through your offspring, through your descendants. You will be a blessing to the entire world. Friends, there's a, there's a, a covenantal relational aspect of what comes out of our mouths that you were put on this planet to be a blessing to others. You were put on a planet to fill the earth with God's goodness. You were put on the planet to, to radiate God's likeness all around our city, all around your neighborhood, all throughout this globe. Let's not use our words to do harm. Let's use our words to do good. You know, as I, as I think about kind of where we, where we land on this, the thing I know about us is that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. That if you just put law on top of your words and say, don't do this, don't speak that way, don't do that thing, don't do this thing, and you can curtail it, but it's not gonna change what's in here and it's not gonna bear fruit that comes out here naturally. Like I can, I can police my children. I can tell them, don't do that. Don't talk that way. Don't speak that way. Don't tell your brother that. Don't do that. And we have to do those things because that's how they learn. I mean, so much beyond that, somehow we've got to foster 
a love for grace and a love for God and a love for others out of their heart so that the words naturally come out. Because even if I police them, someday they're going to be sent out into this world and this tongue is going to be theirs and they're going to be the pilots. And it can be a fire that sets the thing on fire, but it can also be a powerful tool that can be used for good, to be a blessing to others, to tell people about Jesus, to honor the Lord. And you know, just as it's that way for my kids, you know, it's that way for me and that way for you too. Man, you can walk away from here going, man, I've got some issues. Any of you acknowledge? Can we just say like all of us stumble in many ways? I mean, you with me? Like you there? Like we're all there, right? I mean, Jesus sort of outed you on the cross. He had to die for you because that was the problem. And so we all know we're sinners. We all know there's struggles. We all stumble in many ways. We can agree with James that what I know for you is that, man, if, if what's coming out of your mouth is harsh all the time, and then something in here, you've not really, you don't really understand the grace of God the way you need to. And if what's coming out of you is judgmental all the time, then from 20 years of pastoring, what I can tell you is that most people I know that are really critical and really judgmental are just as hard on themselves. And they feel the same pressure and the same shame and the same guilt internally that they spew out on others. And the answer for that is you need to know that you are loved by a God who sent his only son to die for you so that you might have a relationship with him and he sent his spirit to take up residence in you so that day by day by day you could become more like him and grow in, the, in his likeness so that you can display him to the world and so that you can walk in the good works that you were created to do. That you might honor him and the things that come out of your mouth that you might bless the people of his church through the things that you speak. And then you might bless our city and the people in our neighborhoods and the people around our world with the knowledge of the same grace that you've, been received, that you've received from him. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that we would be those who speak life into our world, into one another. Father, we would honor you with our words, that we would constantly inject joy and peace and grace and hope into our relationships through the things that we speak. Father, may we love one another with a brotherly affection. May we outdo one another in showing honor. Father, might you be alive in us in a way that would be would use our mouths as a, as a tool for blessing, that the whole world may know that, that God is love and that we are like him. Father, we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.